I'm walking all alone down my yellow brick road and I stomp to the beat of my own drum. Got my pockets full of dreams and they're busting at the seams going boom, boom, boom. I can't wait for you to hear this episode. Lynn was in a very male-dominated career path, and she knocked it out of the park. She's got success in her life and can tell you that there's one thing that you just can't buy, and that's time. Meet Lynn Tucker-Kyle. We dive into conversation and cover some of the cornerstones of our lives. She gives us some tips on wine buying and drinking. And uh, Lynn and host Amy are longtime friends. Lynn was actually Amy's boss years ago, and she has standards for customer service that she instilled in her employees daily. Listening to a customer, helping them discover what they need is a skill. The conversation covers aspects of customer service, hard work, social interaction skills, and friendship that has stood the test of time. Traveling with Lynn gives her companions the non-touristy side of travel where finding the smaller and unique aspects of a city is where the beauty lives. Her mantra is that everything she does in life is an experience, and she entered the travel industry so that she could teach people how to learn how to travel on both domestic and international trips so that they'll create wonderful memories. We laughed about the boxes we try to check as parents. Sometimes you just can't claim the credit for the things that your kids do right, but we want to. Biggest advice that Lynn has for parents is to build communication so that there's an open line of communication long before teenage years. Don't always be the talker. Be the listener, too. We also talk about her son Trevor's children's book called The Button-Eyed Bear and the impact of that story. Tune in. that I've known for many, many years and have a great deal of respect for. Um, she's been in business. She is a wife, a mom, has uh, been in all kinds of aspects of just life and in the community. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to the big metropolis of actually Rock Ridge, North Carolina. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a suburb of Wilson. We've got those now. <laughs> where you blink, you might miss. That's it what treasures there are along some of these highways so um, it's been a beautiful drive and just enjoyed coming so let's catch up a little bit find out 
exactly what are you doing these days? Well, it really depends on the day of the week. I'm a grandmother now, so I take care of grandchildren. Um, I work in the local school as a substitute teacher. Um, I do that just because I have a passion for kids with my grandchildren. Um, help my husband uh, with his business, and um, I'm the owner of Traveling Tours. So I enjoy traveling, and so that is really the latest venture that I've um gotten into and extremely happy about that because it enables me to be able to do all of the other things I like doing as well because I don't have that uh, nine to five Monday through Friday job so I can participate in my grandchildren's lives and do um, podcasts with friends from out of town and things like that. Yeah so actually that's where I started off kind of re-following you on being a follower, which we talked about earlier, you're not real fond of followers, but I, I would see some of the, or the term followers, I would see some of what you were doing and, and trips you were taking. So you travel, you, you do some New York, you do some international. Tell me how that became an interest. Well, um, back in 2013 uh, is when I really started the international uh, travel aspect of it. But I've always done trips to New York. Years ago, when my mother passed away, a friend of mine um, said, I'll tell you what, uh, I, w I need to get you out of town, so I'm going to pay for you to do this bus trip to New York. Uh, you didn't spend the night. We just got on the bus at 10 o'clock, went to New York, came back uh, early Sunday morning. So it was basically 30 hours without taking a shower. And I thought to myself when I got home, there has got to be a better way to show people um, that want to go to New York a better way. And so that's when I started doing New York trips, uh, doing bus trips for one and two nights and, and showing people uh, how to appreciate the city. Um, the first time I went, uh, I sat down with everybody, the first group I took, and they had no idea. It really amazed me how many people had not traveled. And so I sat down with everybody and kind of told them what to do, what not to do. And that's what really started the passion for traveling tours because a lot of people don't know when they travel not to buy tickets from this site or vendor and uh, safety aspects and where do you find bathrooms in New York. You know, most people think you can go in and use the bathroom anywhere and you can't. And so I wanted to teach people how to travel and go places um, and feel safe and feel like the term that I use is how to experience a place, and that's what I do. So in New York, um, why did you pick New York to start with? I mean, that's, that's a pretty long trek, and there are a lot of um, fears that come along with going to a big city. Well, there are, but we're close enough here in North Carolina that you can go. Uh, we leave at 10 o'clock at night, and 7 o'clock the next morning we're there in the city. So I love New York. Um, I've always loved going to New York. I've been probably 28, 29 times. And I want people to see New York without being afraid, just like you said. And so if they go and know what to do when they get there, then they can enjoy the big city. Yeah, so favorite part of New York that you see somebody who's seen it for the first time? What would you think? Some of the non-touristy things. Um, everybody wants to go to the Empire State Building, and everybody wants to do um, 
the Central Park or Rockefeller Center, the skating rink. But my favorite part are finding the the smaller, unique things in the city. Um, there's a walking tour that we do that is through the Lower East Side, and it is actually with a man that was part of the mafia, his family was. And he goes and explains how that came to be in New York. And so that's an experience, and everything that I, I do in life to me is an experience. And so we get to learn the truth behind the mafia. We do another food tour that you go through a lot of the smaller restaurants in Little Italy and try some food. Those are things that the average tourist, um, they don't do when they go to New York. They hit all the spots. They get on the big red bus. They come home and they think New York is nothing but Times Square with lights. And there's so much more to it than that. Well, and that really kind of opens up culture. So you probably have a lot of avenues for talk about experiencing other cultures and foods and so how does it equate you do some Italy how does little Italy <laughs> in New York equate to well the real thing quite a bit different you know uh, little Italy in New York has become New Yorkized or whatever you want to, to call it it's it's not really Italy um they both serve pasta and red wine and that's about it but <laughs> um I've always loved everything Italian, and going to Little Italy and the food and different things in New York really got me excited about the possibility of going to Italy, which is how in 2013 uh, my husband and I talked about going. And um, when I mentioned to him about wanting to go, he said, well, you know, book a tour. And so I went on and, and put a tour on hold for us to go to Italy for a week. And when I came back, he said, now, you know how you do these bus trips. And you know when you tell everybody to get back on the bus in New York or some of the other places you've done, you know, you're the one that's telling everybody to get back on the bus. How are you going to feel being on the other side? And I thought about it. Yeah, it's going to be real different. And so I decided I want to do my own tour, just Joe and I. And so I called a tour company and booked a private tour. Well, let's just say when the budget came in, he said, that's it. If there's a glass of wine or a plate of pasta that's not in that tour, then we're not doing it. And he said, Lynn, I don't understand. You take people to New York every year. Why don't you plan it yourself? And so I spent two weeks working, investigating, looking up hotels. I mean, it was almost overwhelming. But I took, oh, it, it was amazing. But I came up with a plan. And he had told me everything that we spend under this budget of what this private tour will cost is money that we can use as spending money. And so I put together the trip. You haven't changed much, have you? No, no, no. Gotta have the spend. Gotta have the spend. Gotta have. He told me there'd be no extras. I realized there had to be a plan B right then. (laughs) So um, two years later, my son and my um, son that from Romania that went to college with him that I kind of took on as one of my own, he was going back to Romania for the summer, and Trevor wanted to go home with him. And I said, you're not going, as my husband says, across the pond without us. So we went went to Italy a second time, Uh, went with my son and his friend, and then they went on to Romania, and we stayed in Italy, and he flew back and, and met us. And so that was twice we had been. And so a lot of friends of mine, a couple of years later, had told me, the next time you go, we want to go with you. We don't want to just go to Italy. We want to go to your Italy. And so I put out on Facebook as a joke. 
I said, okay, everybody that keeps saying you want to go to Italy, I'm thinking about going in September. And uh, within 48 hours, I had 64 people on a wait list. That is amazing. Absolutely amazing. Well, I I do a a little bit different trip, I guess. Uh, I used the term experience earlier, and that really is the way I feel. Um, I had a friend of mine that has been with me to Italy, and she had uh, gone overseas, gone to Italy six months prior to that. And she came back and she said, Lynn, I went with a local group, and where we went was a different country than what you did. We, it was a large bus tour. We were herded in and out of these big restaurants and served generic pasta and house red wine. We never knew what we were drinking. Uh, we stayed outside of the city. She said, I want to see your Italy. And so that's when Traveling Tours was born. Oh, wow. So a typical day for you, just randomly, in in Italy would be what? What would you expect to do? You wake up and boom. We wake we wake up. We've got a typical typical Italian breakfast. When we go to Italy, I try not to do anything that is typical American. And that's what when I have the different meetings with the people that I take, I tell them we're going to their country. So we need to experience their culture. So I don't ask for anything special for the group. We have the Italian breakfast. Then we usually always try to do a walking tour. I believe you've got to get into a city and see the back streets. Anybody can do the the high spots. But we see some of the back streets, and we eat at restaurants um, where the little nona, the little grandmother cooks. Um, In the afternoon, I always try to give everybody free time. So you'll have half a day or the evening or the morning that you can explore on your own. So you've got the comfort of having someone there in case you need somebody, but it's almost like taking a tour on your own as well because you get that time to enjoy doing what you want to do in the city. And then usually for the evening, we'll come back for either a wine tasting late in the afternoon or we'll have dinner at one of the local restaurants um, and then just sit and enjoy in one of the piazzas, enjoy watching people go by and and I like saying, act like a local, get the gelato and walk around after dinner and, and just enjoy being in that area. So if somebody is coming and, and they are absolutely not knowing what to do at all, you go ahead and do some pre-prepping. Um, before we sat down to talk, you had talked to me about teaching how to pack. So explore that with me. Well, I really felt like in the in the travel industry that there was people could either go and book a trip or they could go with a large group. But I thought there needed to be something in the middle where people learned how to travel. And so I, I do try to, I have three different meetings. The first one, we go over the itinerary and I tell them about the places that we're going. And I try to get them excited, showing them some of the things that they will see that they've heard of. Um, this time I'm, we're doing something kind of neat. We're having breakfast in the Vatican. And so, wow. yeah, every experience I try. Oh, that's, oh, it, it, mm-hmm. we'll definitely have to say the blessing over that because uh, that's going to be sacred food. But uh, so I tell them about that. Then the second meeting I go over tips and uh, things about the culture. Uh, Americans get a bad rap when they travel overseas because they go overseas and try to act like Americans. 
they go to a beautiful Italian restaurant and order a salad and get upset because they can't get ranch dressing. And so I go over the tips and the cultures and um, everything that you need to know to go over there and enjoy experiencing that destination. Then on the last meeting, uh, my husband always cooks food for the area that we're going to. Uh, so pasta, he, uh, you need to come to that one. So he's a wonderful cook and, and he'll do a big meal. And then I actually have my suitcase packed. So I show people how to pack for 14 days with a carry-on suitcase and a backpack. And truly it can be, it can be done. Well, and you're right stylish. So I'm assuming that these aren't little, um, junky clothes that you're packing either no no you know you can you can dress nice and dress comfortable but when you travel to Europe you realize just how wasteful people can be and we everything is oversized here all the food is oversized we always travel you'll go to the beach for a weekend with a huge suitcase and a cooler full of food for a week And you don't realize you don't need all of that. And so if you don't have all this big luggage you have to carry around and um, all these extra things you don't need, then you can concentrate on enjoying being there. And it's just a matter of simplicity. Simple black pants, simple tops that you can put a scarf on with uh, a different really pretty necklace or earrings to dress it up. And uh, taking coordinating outfits instead of the American idea of 14 days, you need 18 outfits. And you don't do that. That's interesting. So simplicity crosses into traveling. So you're actually teaching a rather popular concept these days of the simplistic living. Well, it's something we all could learn. And there's, there's so many things that we could learn from uh, my passion is uh, uh, Italy, even though I just came back from Ireland and Scotland, which is similar culture, different food, but similar culture in some of their ideas, but they don't have washcloths over there. I mean, that's just a wasteful um, thing. They use soap and water and they take good showers, but washcloths are just something else that you have to wash and dry. And so I do remind, because Americans want washcloths, so you can get the little washcloths that you soak in water and they expand. And so they take those. And so there's certain things that Americans want over there, but for the most part, um, it really is a simple lifestyle. A funny story, the very first time I went to Italy, we were in a shop in a small town, and uh, I wanted a set of dishes, and it was going to be 800 euro, which was almost $1,000. That was a huge purchase for me. Normally, I spend less than $50 on souvenirs. And so the the shop owner walked up and he said, okay, what do you want? And I said, well, I don't know. I can't decide. He said, okay, will you come back at four? It's one o'clock. I said, well, I can't come back. We're moving to another town. He said, okay, we'll come tomorrow. And I said, I don't understand. And he said, uh, my family, I go home to eat lunch. And after researching, which I didn't research b- beforehand, that's why I do the research now and try to teach the classes. In all of your smaller towns in Italy, they leave at usually 1 o'clock. Even the banks close. They go home. They pick their children up for school. They do homework. Um, they lunch with their wives. Then they come back to work about 4. And uh, I thought then, I thought that is a wonderful way to look at life to enjoy life 
Well, and instead of getting the dregs of the day, they take some of the better hours of the day to reinvest in family and and taking care of themselves. We sometimes spin our wheels all day long and then boom, we're home and we're too exhausted to to do. So that is a good philosophy. Oh, so you can pick up philosophies along the way. Oh, definite philosophy. Uh, you know, at dinner, we live in a society here of drive through. You know, I can ask my grandchildren, uh, what do you want? Well, I want a number three if you go here, a number two if you go there, or a number four with extra fries if you go here. Because we're in that society of quickly going and eating and doing and moving on to something else. Well, again, my first trip to Italy, I didn't do the research that I have since done. But we walked up to a restaurant and asked, could we have dinner? And they said, no, we're full. Well, I looked inside the restaurant, there was one table. And I thought, wait, you know, can you tell we're Americans? You just don't want us to eat here. And they said, come back maybe at 9 or 10 o'clock in in the evening. Well, the restaurants don't open until 7.30. And so we left and we walked back by about 9 o'clock. And they actually came and flagged us down. And they said, come here, come here. You can eat now. And we looked and the restaurant was packed. It was full. So we went and had dinner. And afterwards, I did my research and realized that in a lot of your restaurants in Italy, when you make a reservation, that is your table for the evening. So they want you to come and enjoy uh, being with your friends, enjoy dinner. If you leave before they close, then yes, they may reseat that table. But a lot of people think Europeans or Italians are rude because uh, I've heard them say, oh, it took 45 minutes for them to bring our check. Well, they believe that if you're sitting with a friend or your spouse or, or a partner, um, you want to enjoy dinner with them. And so all you have to do is hold your fingers up and rub them together, and that is the sign, could you please bring our check? Other than that, they leave you alone and let you enjoy dinner. How different is oh, that wow. from the way we see it? Yeah, very different. It, it kind of reminds me, I have a friend that's a chef, and uh, um, he opened a restaurant in, in Birmingham called The Table. And his whole concept... and he had an Italian background. His whole concept was come to the table, sit down, and enjoy. Oh, definitely. So he, you know, that was the same concept of hang out. He had cushions on the, the uh, chairs so that you would be comfortable at the table. So we could definitely take a lesson from that. Um, in, in working with the travel business, now you've, you've done a lot of other things in your career along the way. So I met you when you were working uh, in a jewelry store, you were the manager, and you had a lot of responsibility, and um, and it was a pretty high-producing store at the time, but that's very different. The, I mean, I know you're still serving the public, but um, you're out of retail. Well, but it's all the same. My background from the time I was in the 10th grade was sales. I started out selling shoes at a local um, shoe store and started working in sales to put myself through college when I lived in Greenville, working for the jewelry store. That's how I started there and then moved on up with the company. And um, after leaving the, the jewelry company, just because of the long hours and retail is tough, um, then I went into sales for a hotel chain. Uh, and worked in hospitality and so it's still 
all the same thing. After I, I left the hospitality industry, um, I owned a cosmetic studio, again, in, in sales. And so I've done a lot of different type sales over the years, but it's still the, the same thing, even with the travel business now. You find something that people want, and then you help them figure out the best thing that they need for them. Whether in the hotel industry, it was planning their wedding reception or makeup in the cosmetic industry or an engagement ring um, in the jewelry industry or now travel trips. People don't know what they want and they don't want somebody to tell them what it is they want. I think people want somebody, for the most part, or at least my customers, to help them decide what it is they want. That's correct. And I, I remember, I mean, I was kind of, I don't, I don't really know how much age difference there is between us, but, um, but I think you weren't much older than me, but you were telling me what to do. So <laughs> I kind of get that. Um, but, but there were a lot of life principles that I learned through retail. Well, we were talking about that earlier, and you reminded me of a couple of things that, Truly, I hadn't thought about since then and did not realize then that it made an impact on you. Oh, yeah. Just the how we serviced our customers. And it was when someone walked into our store, they were the most important focal. I mean, conversation stopped. We could be mid-sentence and it stopped. And if it didn't stop, then you had a word with us afterwards. And I don't remember how many. There were probably half a dozen people working at different times and um oh yeah at least we all were pretty much in line i think of of that kind of quality well i've always thought that if somebody is coming to spend money with you or if somebody needs you then it is your job to give them your attention Uh, one of my pet peeves now is to walk into a business and the two employees continue their conversation. And I hadn't even thought about that until you mentioned it. But that goes way back when I was with uh, Reed's Jeweler. That's all right. Okay, I didn't know if, if uh, um, it, it seems like it was That's a lifetime ago. Yeah, I couldn't even remember the name of it for a long time. But, um, you know, it goes back to the philosophy then. I didn't like that then, and I don't like it now. Um, I went to a restaurant not long ago, and... The hostess and the waitress continued their conversation about something that had happened in their personal life the night before, and I looked at my watch for three minutes before they spoke to me and sat me to my table. Uh, Needless to say, I won't be visiting that restaurant again. So, yeah, some things in life, I guess, carry over for years. They do, and and now my kids know where I got some of that. (laughs) That's it. But but their standards, I mean, do you think that, We've talked, I mean, you're in the school system some, you're the substitute sometimes. That is probably the tougher job of being, coming in. It's not your classroom, but yet you have the responsibilities. So do you see that maybe some of those kids need to be in some of these jobs learning those? I mean, they get so ingrained of how you treat someone. Do you see that as in school, something that's missing? Oh, it's definitely missing. You know, um... I love the kids, and I I love being in the classroom. I love treating the kids with respect. 
And I think I get some of that respect back from them, you know, because I, I try to treat them that way. But I see kids this day and time do not know how to socialize and interact with other people. Now, they know how to play on their phone, and they know how to play games, and they know how to do that um, like an expert. You know, I've just gotten my website uh, off, and my joke is I need to call my 9- or 13-year-old granddaughter to come and help me on my computer. That's it, and they'll they'll do it for me. But when it comes to social interaction, um, it, it's sad to say that kids have lost that somewhere along the way. How to how to treat other people kindly, how to carry on intelligent conversations. Um, you know, you get text from kids, and the abbreviation is "you are" for your on a text. And I know I'm old school, but sometimes you just need to take time to do things the right way. And we, we're, we're failing our kids if we don't do that now. Yeah. Do you remember Christmas time and learning to wrap packages? Oh, yes. Oh, man, you were a stickler. Oh, you because know. It had to be straight <laughs> and beautiful and not ripped up cut. Do you remember that? I had we forgotten that. Trouble because they just spent a tremendous amount of money on a diamond bracelet that they're giving their wife. And you're going to wrap it like a kindergartner? Oh, my goodness. I had forgotten that. But, you know, and now we live in the society of gift bags. Yeah. You know, and... I don't think you would allow that if you were still... Oh, never, never. I would never allow that. But, you know, you think about it yourself. If you've got a gift that's wrapped pretty with a really pretty bow on it, or you've got a white plain bag with some red and green tissue paper crammed down in it, which one would you choose at Dirty Santa? Exactly. You know, that's funny because that is exactly what happens. That's it. So we all do want the finer. And, and, and what's funny is cost really isn't that much different. It's just learning how to do it right. You know, it's time. It, it's the time to do it right. And that is something that you can buy whatever in the society. You can either charge it or you can buy it. But what you can't get more of is time. And you and I talked earlier having lost parents and things that we've learned over the years until you go through something like that, you appreciate how, how valuable time truly is. So either it doesn't matter if it's wrapping a Christmas present or spending time with the child or reading a book. Um, you, you have to take time because that's something you can't get any other way unless you take time or make time to do it. And a part of your traveling, you're, you're really not selling the buy this little trinket you're selling the experience, the time, the, the learning, the culture, incorporating that in. So it kind of all has a thread, doesn't it? it it's all the same. Um, and as we talk, I, I really realize now how much this has been a part of my life, my entire life. Um, and and that, was, um, that goes back from my parents. Uh, my grandfather passed away back when I was in the fifth grade, and it was on my birthday. His funeral was on my birthday. And my dad is the first person that instilled that time is important because they had promised to take me to this really fancy restaurant. And ironically enough, my husband took me there last night for dinner as a little cheer-me-up um, uh, thing. But it was a small little restaurant I'd never been to. And I was so disappointed because he had promised to take me there. And um, when we came home from the funeral, it was a couple hours away, he said, Now, Sugar, go get dressed. I said, What for? And he said, look, I'll get choked up even saying it, but um, he said, because we're going out to eat for your birthday. 
And I will never forget that. You know, he took time the same day of his father's funeral to do what he had promised and spend time with me, just my mom and dad, and I went. And, uh, you know, I guess that was the start of realizing just how important time is. Yeah. Well, and that's true. You can't get it back. No. Once, once it's gone, it's gone. It, you know, as far back as we go, and we decided it's been almost 25 years since we've seen each other. Well, it seems, now that we've spent the day together, it seems like it was a week before last. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> but, you know, it's funny. We were young. We were single. Um, we had fun. But we've built kind of a relationship there that can withstand time and distance. Um, and maybe some of that's missing for, for kids today. Well, it is because, you know, when we were growing up, you had a small group of friends. And you stuck with those friends. And so as we got older, as adults, when you clicked with somebody and it was important, you kept that somebody. Yeah. And it, we live in a disposable society now, you know, whether yeah, it's we yeah, TVs, electronics. Um, you can buy a, a new cell phone today, but you need to watch because next month there's going to be another one that's out that's bigger and better. And unfortunately, relationships are that that way as well. So the one good thing, and we talked about it before, I, I know that you are um, an expert when it comes to marketing and social media and, and all of that. And I've got so much I need to learn from you. Um, I'm, I'm not a fan of social media, but you're talking to me that I need to be. Oh, yes. But that is one. Uh, I know. And I'm going to. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take your advice on that one. But that's the one good thing Facebook has allowed is those relationships that we built years ago. Thank goodness for Facebook that we use it the way I think it was meant to be, to stay in contact with people that are important. And um, I think young people uh, today need to realize that as well, that they need to keep those relationships from being so um, just something that comes and goes because it – uh, it shouldn't be that way. Yeah. Well, we also kind of stated that it's kind of a good thing we didn't have some of the social media, or I don't know, I might be way somewhere else, so I'm good. I'm, I'm glad we didn't have um, instant photos sharing with the world capabilities many years ago. Yeah, we'd have some explaining to do. But um, you're in the classroom some, and, and social media is a hot topic of how do you control it and bullying and as a sub, do you see that sometimes? I do, most of the time. I mean, I'm in elementary school, and I see that in the elementary school. We've got our media specialist at the school that I'm at is amazing, something that I had never thought of. Um, I subbed for her when she was out for maternity, and the very first two lessons, the first one was how to act in the library, and the second and third lesson was safety on social media and computers. And I called her up and I said, look, you know, are you sure we need to do this? She said, Lynn, it's elementary school, but you'd be surprised. And as I started talking to the kids and teaching that lesson for her, they knew a lot more about it than I did. So I think as society, we need to teach and train. You know, it says in the Bible, train a child in the way he should go. He might stray, but he'll return to the way he's been taught. And that applies to social media as well. I think you need to teach and train them the purposes of social media and how to use it and how not to use it. And if you start out early, then that will uh, carry on through uh, middle school and high school, which social media is a major problem there. Yeah. Well, and it, it takes, 
embracing that it's something we have to deal with because it's so easy to go, no, I'm, it doesn't affect me. But it really does affect all of us. Um, and you probably see that too when you're involved in the travel world. Social media can either build it up or tear it down um, as you're going through. And, and different countries have different responses. Have you found any of that? that you have to teach a respect or, or oh oh definitely and even as an adult i find it hard to believe that i can put something on the internet and somebody from another country can respond back can look up and see where i'm from um i had a, a situation that i had I had put in, put something on social media not thinking i uh, got several very negative responses because it was totally uh, misunderstood what I was saying, and it just snowballed into a, a major problem, and it, it took a while to nip that in the bud and get it corrected. So you're not just talking about bullying, you know, in the classroom or in a small area. It can happen worldwide, and I think we need to teach our children that, yes, you can put something out there that goes, as the, the term is, goes viral, uh, but you really don't realize how quickly that can happen. And I learned a hard lesson, you know, as a grown adult, how that can happen. And it was nothing I did wrong. It was something that somebody thousands of miles away read, didn't understand the meaning behind it, and it almost became a disaster. Yeah, and you don't realize that that can happen because we're so used to just our four little walls. That's it. So it kind of breaks down all the natural barriers um all right you raised a son yes and so you had issues along the way in raising a child of deciding how you would parent how you would discipline what kind of advice would you throw to the new parent to the middle school parent and to the high school parent well one is a parent and i'm also a step parent and so while i was raising my son i had a stepdaughter as well and um, the, the biggest thing is communication, and you have to start that uh, when they're young. Um, having a, a stepdaughter, and uh, of course she had a mother and a stepfather that were part of the mix as well. And I'm not saying it's always been perfect and everything's been great, yeah. but we started the communication with them and um, talked back and forth like grown adults. And with children, you have to treat them the same way. You have to, to open up that line of communication. You can't all of a sudden wait until they're in high school and try to fix that. Uh, a friend of mine uh, who was a pastor told a lesson one day. He said, you know, parents come to me all the time and say, you know, my child is in trouble. My child's on drugs. My child is um, doing all kind of bad things. I need you to come in and fix it. And he said, you should have done that, you know, when they were little, when you were playing baseball on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. And it's not all about the, the church aspect of it as much as talking to your children, explaining things to them. You know, they can learn anything in life. The birds and the bees, anything they need to know, they can click two buttons on any social media and find out. Oh, yeah. So but is that always a good source? It's not a good source. Um, it, it, because most of the information, contrary to what people think, just because you saw it on Facebook or yeah, the Internet does not, not make it true. Yeah. 
So start when they're young. Start talking to them when they're young and let them, you know, don't always be the one that talks, but you've also got to be the one that listens. And if parents would listen to their children, the things they say and the things they don't say, you can almost learn that is key. You've, you've got to see what they're not saying. What do you mean by that? Well, you can just pick up on little things. If you know your child, um, you know the, the kids he hangs around with, and then all of a sudden he starts talking about this really unusual video game or this really strange place that you've never heard of that kids are hanging out at, and you hear him uh, want to go there or he picks up things that he's gotten from some of these other places. You know, he's not told you that he's hanging out with the crowd. Maybe he shouldn't be. And instead of going to the movies, they went somewhere else they shouldn't have been. He hasn't told you all those things. But if you keep your eyes open and you listen for things that um, are unsaid, then you'll learn a lot about what your child is doing. You know, sit down. The You said come to the table um, a, a while ago and I sold Pampered Chef for years and the philosophy behind that is come to the table right. and they believe the most important time of the day for children is dinner time around the table talking about your day and finding out you know what happened in school and unfortunately this day and time a lot of babysitters end up um, knowing a lot more than parents do because parents don't take that time to talk and to listen. Well, and, you know, a lot of times we have even found ourselves, and my children are all adults now, but sometimes we have to intentionally um, either go out to eat somewhere or have dinner ready without all the other distractions. seems like distractions can tear <laughs> you away, even as they're grown. Well, my son was in high school, and my philosophy, my, my rule at my house is no telephones at the table. Uh, even before we had cell phones, if the phone rang, we don't answer it. It would keep ringing until the answer machine came on. But you don't, during dinner time is dinner time, period. And um, he had a friend over, and he was sitting playing on his cell phone. And I heard my son say, you need to put that up. Oh, wow. Yeah, the second time he said, I, you might want to put that up. Well, he didn't get a third chance. When I walked in the room, I took the cell phone, turned it off. He said, I, was, I needed to finish my conversation. I said, well, when you go home later on tonight, you'll get your cell phone back. Uh, he was actually a junior in high school, the quarterback for the football team. So he kind of looked at me like, and I said, rules are rule. Dinner time is, is for dinner. It's not for playing on the cell phone. He said, well, Trevor said that, but I didn't think he meant it. I said, well, that's the rule at my house. There you go. That's kind of fun to step back and see your child pick up on, hey, this is the way it works. Well, you know, every occasionally I won't say every once in a while but occasionally we manage to do something right I know you've done you've done some things right with your children and you know when you when they do something and you think hmm that's one box I checked right so yeah you take it um so does Trevor has he traveled with you guys as well some or I know he's been an athlete and now he's grown and working and sometimes those are hard to do uh, he traveled a lot when he was young. Um, that's another reason that I love the travel business is taking people places that um, they never would have dreamed of going. And when he was young, of course, I, like I said, I was with Pampered Chef, and so I won the trip every year. 
and we always bought him in. So he started traveling very young. So he got a chance to experience what it was like to travel. And it's sad, some friends of mine that were grown, that were my age, just within the last 10, 15 years, have gone on trips with my husband and I that had never left the state of North Carolina. And so um, I tried to, to teach him. Again, maybe that's one box I checked right, but uh, he still loves to travel. And um, he's been to several countries, and um, he's looking forward to continuing that, of course. Life is in the way now. He's got a small child and married and working. But hopefully as he gets older, that will continue with him as well. So, yeah, life does get in the way sometimes. But um, while I'm talking about him, Trevor wrote a book. He did. Um, it, it really caught me off guard. Uh, he was married and had a small child, uh, a baby at the time, and he said, Mom, I wrote a book. I said, well, that's nice, honey. I said, do you want to um, eat supper with us, or have y'all got other plans? He said, no, we'll eat here, so I was cooking, and he said, I met with my illustrator today, and he was still in college at the time. He was a senior in college, and I said, illustrator for what? He said, my book. I said, what book? He said, the one I wrote. The one I was talking to you about, and you weren't listening. (laughs) I said, well, read me a couple of lines. And he started reading, and I froze. Um, I turned around and truly had chill bumps and tears in my eyes. And he started showing me some pictures. But when Raylan, my granddaughter, was uh, born, she got this little teddy bear. And they called him Mr. Bear, and she was attached to him uh, a, a lot. And so he wrote a children's book, The Button-Eyed Bear. And um, it really, he doesn't realize and didn't at the time, but I had a teddy bear when I was a baby and still have it. It's right there in my bedroom on the shelf, but it went everywhere with me. And uh, my husband knows that, you know, when I'm buried, um, I want my teddy bear buried with me. I mean, it was that important to me, even though it sits up on the shelf. And so the line that he read in the book is talking about as we get older, uh, Mr. Bayer was put up on the shelf. And so it really wow. struck a oh, it struck a chord with me I because I didn't. I just, you know, I told him, I said, you know, that's just amazing. And so it was just something that was inside of him. And um, it just really, I never, ever, ever dreamed that he would be interested in writing a book. We always read. I read to him when he was a baby because I'm a big reader. And maybe that was, let's see, that's three boxes I checked. So that was, you know, that's only three things I've done right that I can, yeah, not many. But uh, I did read to him when he was a child. So I'm certainly not taking any credit for his talent because he he is truly talented in so many areas. But um, he, he wrote a book and very proud of him. Well, when we were looking at it earlier, I was telling you about those tier two words where, you know, children who, if they haven't heard some of these words and concepts, because it may not be, I think shelf was one of the words that we were looking at, and some of the other words that aren't, they might be in our typical conversation, but they're not the typical conversation of every child. And so tier two words are a a big, I'm not an educator by any means, well, I homeschooled kids, but... You know, that doesn't... See, you've always been my hero for that because we couldn't get through an hour's worth of homework. Oh, well, you know why I did it? I couldn't get through an hour's worth of somebody else's homework. Oh, okay, so see. Like, hey, let me design it. But 
the kids have actually said that they would not want me as a, no kid would want me as a college professor or anything because I demand, I, I say I demand excellence, I demand your excellence. You know, what, and, and excellence in comparison to what the true standards should be. You can't lower the bar but so much, but, you know, that's a whole nother topic, but I think that kids can really dig down deep and need to dig down deep to do the absolute best they can because they don't know what's coming tomorrow. They need to be as prepared as possible. But the the book, back to, to his book, I mean, he's really got some concepts in there that are very hot topic uh, concepts that are that they're finding out through research are vital. Well, and I don't know what it is about the book that strikes chords. It strikes chords with different people. Um, I was subbing one day and took the book right after it came out, and we had some extra time, so I read it, and it was a third-grade class. And I read it to the class. Uh, Trevor had, had been in the school. He went to the same elementary school, and some of the kids had seen him, and so I read the book. Well, afterwards, one of the students who was one of the more difficult students um, in the school, he came from a, a he had some tough background as far as his home life, and I knew that. I knew who the child was. He walked up to me and he said, "How can you get one of those things?" And I said, I told him how much they were. They were ten dollars, and he could buy one. He said, "Well, when have I got to have the money?" I said, "Well, you can bring it any time, honey. It's fine." Uh, and he was a little rough around the edges. Well, I didn't sub for another couple of weeks. Well, finally, the, the principal called, and she said, will you please bring that book? I said, what are you talking about? And she called the child's name. She said, he's brought $10 to school. Don't have a clue where he got the $10 from. But he's brought $10 to school every day and wanted to know when Miss Kyle was coming back, that he had to do some business with her. Well, so, well, you know... <laughs> I really feel like if, if him getting that one book and that one child buying that one book is the reason it was on his heart to write that book, and we never know, then um, then I guess he did the right thing. But oh, that's I, well, I just it, I, I still can't believe this one child. I never would have dreamed this child that stayed in constant trouble for uh, being aggressive. He was a little bit of a bully. But there was something in that book, and he's actually, um, he's in the fifth grade now and uh, doing pretty well. Has nothing to do with the book, but, um, well, you never know, but he's had some good teachers. There's some great teachers there, and uh, there's some teachers that believed in him. And um, so he's, um, uh, he's, he really is, I think, he's going to be okay. That's good. Um, So that I don't forget, if someone in the audience would like, to get their hands on this book, how can they do it? Uh, well, they can certainly contact me. I'll be glad to send them one. Uh, you can look it up on Amazon, so they can purchase it through Amazon as well. Uh, if they contact me, I can get it autographed for them so and, oh, wow. and send it out to them. That's awesome. Well, I, you know, there are moments when you look at something that your child is doing and just you got the little proud moments that it's just amazing that, they do, that they're doing. Um so as your life has just kind of gone through and, and you've, you've made changes in careers, I mean, I mean, you could look at a diamond and tell how perfect a diamond was or and where it came from. I mean, you had skill. All those skills, 
there's something that you've done so far that is just your treasure and what you've enjoyed the most or just meant more to you than anything else? Well, other than being a grandparent, because I truly believe that we have children so that we can have grandchildren. <laughs> uh, being a, I'm not there yet. Uh, well, being a grandparent, but my travel business now really is my passion. Uh, when my husband and I came back from Italy the first time, he said, um, you need to find a way that we can do this. And so we love traveling. I love seeing the way that other people live. I like being open-minded about a lot of different things. And so I guess that's the, that's the one thing now. And maybe it's just because it's my current passion. Um, you know, I have done a lot of different things, and somebody told me, they said, Lynn, you know, you, every time I talk to you, you're doing a little something different. And that's okay. You know, a, a joke that I heard is uh, my entire life can be summed up in one sentence. Well, that didn't go according as planned. Um, and that's true, and, you know, I think you need to be open-minded. I know there are people that have worked in the same job their entire life that they were miserable at. And so... I'm certainly not one to give advice, but um, don't be afraid to venture out and do something you enjoy in life because it goes back to the time thing. Um, We have so very little time that try to find something in this life that you enjoy. I think I've done a lot of different things, but I've done that because I was at that season in my life. Um, We all go through different seasons, and I use that phrase a lot in in talking to people. Um, So don't be afraid to change seasons. You know, do something, do something different. If it's change jobs or um, change restaurants you go to or change the place you go on vacation or move your furniture around in your house. Well, we can't do that because my husband likes it the same way, but uh, some people can change furniture I can around. Change that. I, I've often changed enough to where you have to think at night, okay, now when I get up, I need to go right instead of left. Well, he bumped his leg the first, the first, week I lived here I moved everything around he bumped his leg and we put it back where it was before then and uh, I think I went seven years without moving it again <laughs> that's funny that's funny um where do you think your travel business will go I mean I know you want to continue traveling but um as you progress other countries that you're just determined you're going to have on your list well there are some other countries and you know people ask me and it all goes back to the same thing we've been talking about people ask me all the time why don't you go to japan why don't you go because i don't want to (laughs) you know uh, yes it's very simple you know uh i know there are a lot of people that want to go to certain countries not only uh overseas but locally you know people say why don't you go do a trip to branson missouri uh, because I don't want to. And I want to go places that I want to go, that I like, that I'm passionate about, so that I can take that passion and excitement and maybe carry over to them. I just don't want to do something just to do it, just because it might be a money maker. Um, that's not why I'm doing the business. So um, there are some other countries I'd like to go to. There are some places domestically here in the states that i'd like to go to as well but it's got to be somewhere that i'm excited about yeah so do i need to add alabama on that list yeah you do that that should be something i can help you out on there um at least make it a pass-through state i I can do that um 
Well, you know, what I hear you talk about there is passion. Do you think that's lacking in a lot of people these days? I think it is because people get, um, they settle. Um, they just settle for what they're doing, and they they forget that passion. And sometimes we need to step back and find something that excites us again um, in marriage. Um, you know, my husband and I have been married for I don't know how many years, uh, 30, going on uh, 30 years. And we've had to, you know, things haven't been perfect. Anybody that says they've got a perfect marriage is, is you know, they're living a dream. Yeah, Nothing's perfect. Beautiful. They're not. Yeah. And so, you know, there are times that we've had to, to step back. You know, when my son went off to college, that was difficult because all of a sudden we had to learn to talk to each other again. Yeah, you were at ball fields a lot. Oh, you know, he was an athlete and traveled all over the, the state um, competing. And all of a sudden he was living in a dorm and, at dinner, we weren't talking about what time practice was tomorrow. We were talking about, well, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> and so we had to learn to date again. We had to learn to um, uh, find things we were interested in. So, yeah, I think passion is something that's lacking in society because we're, we settle for what we've got and don't want anything more. I've heard a lot of people say lately, I don't know why, I've just having friends when your kids were coming along did you find that when he went off to school that i mean y'all are in the same town that you've been in but all of a sudden your people groups changed uh it changed and i think what happens is the people groups change because you know all the kids went to different colleges and the parents really didn't have anything in common and so then you lose that set of friends well, in our case, we had some friends who had kids that were older. Um, and so we didn't have little ones at the same time. And so we went several years and lost that friendship yeah. because we were changing diapers. My husband was older when, when we had uh, my son. And so we were changing diapers and we were going to t-ball games and things. Well, their daughter was grown and gone. And so we had to rebuild that friendship. Uh, but like you said earlier, that friendship, you know, stood the test of time. And so we're still extremely good friends, but we did go through a time that we didn't have anything in common with them. And we were in a different, again, a different season in our life. And so sometimes you need to back up and punt. You need to go back and say, okay, uh, this isn't working, so maybe what will? And if it's changing friends or changing um anything in your life that's not working sounds like you're saying everything just about has to be intentional well it does you have to you have to put forth an effort uh if if you were asking what is lacking in society well passion and effort effort to spell out an entire word on a text instead of abbreviating or effort to um cook dinner instead of driving through the drive-through and some of our effort, I think, has been pushed by the wayside. I can, I can agree with that. All right, I want to run down a whole other path because I know you know a lot about it. Um, you guys love to cook together, make really fine meals, and wine is something that you know about, not just drinking, but just knowing the, how to make the choices. 
what if somebody really wanted to educate themselves um, in the wine world, especially if they were going to travel? Because when you travel, you're being selective, aren't you, about how what you drink and how you embrace that? We do, and um, the biggest faux pas in society is uh, red with meat and white with fish or chicken. Uh, everybody believes that. They go in a grocery store and they buy the wine that's got the prettiest label and they get home and they've thrown $15 away on a wine that the $6 bottle would have been much better. Uh, I have always enjoyed wine but didn't know a lot about it. And the biggest um, way that you can learn about wine is try wine. Most of your wine stores now have wine tastings. So you can go and for free... You can taste different um, wines and decide what you like and what you don't like. Uh, keep a little notebook. Write down if you try um, a wine that you really like, jot it down. If you try something you don't like, jot it down. Uh, there was a joke amongst some of the girlfriends, and our friends don't let friends drink white Zen because you would always, everybody was drinking the white Zen because it was a little bit sweet, you know. Um, and so I got a friend of mine drinking Riesling. She had never heard of it. And uh, it's her favorite wine now. And so it's just trying different things. Don't go buy a bottle, but don't be afraid to, to taste different things. When I go to Italy, uh, two of the things are you can't order a glass of Chardonnay or a glass of Cabernet. So if you're in a... No, I won't let them. Um, we'll not let them order that. Because that's what everybody knows. White wine, Chardonnay, red wines, Cabernet. And until we went through the uh, Merlot movement. That was the up-and-coming thing. Uh, don't have a lot of Merlot in Italy, so that's not a problem. But um, try something different. Don't be afraid to... It doesn't have to be expensive, but um, just try something maybe a little bit different. That's fun. I'm not sure why, but I guess maybe mispronouncing something or, you know, there's just that fear of I'm going to look like an idiot because I don't know what to do, how to order. Do you think that stops people? Well, it does. People are afraid to ask. They're afraid to admit that they, they don't know. Um, in a restaurant, they'll order, the, they'll find a wine that they recognize a word, and they'll order yeah. that. Um, but don't, don't hesitate to tell the waiter. And believe it or not, they had a little segment on TV this morning on this very subject and a waiter was the one doing the little segment on the, the Today Show this morning. Uh, tell the waiter, I'm ordering the fish uh, for dinner, the grilled salmon. Um, I'm not a big wine drinker. I like something maybe light that's maybe a little bit sweet. Do you have anything that I could order that would, that would go well with that? Most of the time in your good restaurants, uh, even the Olive Garden, I think, will allow you to taste a wine. Uh, they'll bring you a sample to try, but you they they don't know what to bring you unless you tell them what you want. So if you're ordering steak and you're not a big red wine drinker, I'm ordering steak and I really would like a glass of wine to go with it. Um, what do you suggest that's not a real heavy, real bold wine? Is there something else maybe I could order? Well, the waiter will suggest something that um, will go with what you uh, are ordering. Another misconcept, um, people think that white wine should be ice cold and red wine should be room temperature. 
Well, I mean, what do you keep your house at? Oh, it's not room temperature anymore. <laughs> I issue you a blanket at the door. Oh, okay. So you're well. Actually, it would be fine in your house then. Uh, one of my best friends, who's another big good, she loves wine as like I do. She keeps her thermostat on seventy six in the summer. Oh my god! So room temperature for her that would be way too hot for red wine. Uh, they're actually referring to cellar room temperature. So, most of your refrigerators are set at 34, 35 degrees. Well, that's way too cold for white wine. Um, So, take the wine out for about, take white wine out for about 10 minutes before you drink it. And red wine, don't, don't refrigerate it. I'm not saying that. But uh, if it's sitting, you know, up on your counter or you just came home from the grocery store in North Carolina in July, your car was 98 degrees when you got in it. Uh, put the red wine in the refrigerator for just maybe five minutes just to to bring the temperature down. And you'll find that people that don't like red wine, again, don't serve at 35 degrees, but bring the temperature down just a little bit, and you'll find you actually do like red wine. Well, that's interesting. The things we learn. Um, and I think a lot of times that, that goes right into life. What we don't know scares us. And people are afraid to ask. They're afraid to ask uh, it, with the travel business or with cooking. You know, people are afraid to try new recipes. Uh, my husband and I play a game. We'll go to a restaurant and have a dish, and then we'll come home and try to reproduce the, right. the dish we ate, mm-hmm. yeah. reconstruct it. Does it always turn out like it did in the restaurant? Of course not. Yeah, but, uh, it's, but it's fun trying. But it's fun. That's like Pinterest. What is it? They had the... Here's how it looked on Pinterest, and here's how I made it, and they always look, you know. Always, always different. Um, A friend of mine wanted to start a business. Uh, His wife would always see something on Pinterest and say, I need you to do that for me. So he was going to start a business that said, as seen on Pinterest. That's pretty good. And do arts and crafts for for other um, women in the community. She came home with a, a mailbox, and, you know, mailboxes are oval, and she had seen it on Pinterest. It was chevron painted. So, uh, yeah, I think he that's, got that. he, he got to do that. So everything on Pinterest doesn't always work out the way you think it should. No, but, you know, I think probably growing up, one of the ways that I learned to cook, one of the ways I learned to do various things in my home was through mimic, through watching. I don't know that I ever got specific instruction but, um, you know, I did watch mom or I watched my grandmother and picked it up. So maybe that's a little bit of the same concept. Well, it is. And, you know, memories are made in the kitchen, whether they're little or older. Uh, I learned from my grandmama and my, my mom the one of the hardest holidays I've ever spent was the first Thanksgiving after my mom died because I always spent Thanksgiving in her kitchen. I was up there at 7 o'clock. And we cooked all day, and that was one of the best memories I had as a child. And so when Trevor came along, and he is an excellent cook, but I always allowed him in the kitchen to cook, to be creative, and we always ate whatever he cooked. Um, and he, he loves now. I mean, he's, he's an excellent cook. And with my grandchildren as well, uh, on Facebook the other day, it popped up a memory, and it was my two oldest grandchildren when one of them must have been about two or three years old, and we were in the kitchen cooking at Christmas time. Um, so those are some of the, the best memories I have is spending time in the kitchen, and that's how kids learn. Yeah, they do. You know, um, my middle child started a pampered chef business, 
under me when she was 13. I, when you called and asked me, I was like, wait, she's only 13, and she loved it. Yeah, and it, um, it was something we did together, and it actually we started it because she was learning to public speak and do those kinds of things, and I was like, this will be good. Take this, and now she does food demonstrations and um, you know, quick cooking recipes that are healthy for the population that she serves through her extension work, and that was something we did together in the, the kitchen. Um, so there are stories you can build and, and life lessons and then skills that, um, that go. We, weren't, we were talking about apprenticeships and those kind of things um, where you know, you, sometimes learning doesn't always happen in a classroom sitting in a desk but they, they happen by doing. Well, you, you have to do things. You know, there are different types of learners. There's a visual learner. There's a auditory learner. There's a kinesthetic learner when you um, actually do it. Uh, a person at the school that I'm at taught a little class when my son was there, and it was what types of learners there are. And if you are constantly telling your child something, but they're not an auditory learner, then they'll never grasp the concept. And my son was, you know, he, he wanted to do it. He had to get in and actually physically do it. And I'm the same way. You can give me directions to go down a straight road to Wilson, and I'll get lost because if you've told me, yeah. it, it didn't process. So um, I think you really need to get in there and, and do things. And maybe when your daughter was doing um, the Pamper Chef business when she was 13, you said she's really into the whole culinary scene now and, um, so doing that, I think, really carried off on, on to yeah. her adulthood. Learning, um, you know, Isaac is in jiu-jitsu and, and MMA, and um, Becca, he took Becca, well, he's taken Tori to the one in Auburn at times, and he took Becca and Warner Robbins, and she, she said, I'm learning all of this, but what these guys are learning about me is I have to do it to learn it. And a lot of times, you know, you can, you may have, a few hard knocks along the way. So did you kind of try to shield your children and your grandchildren from the school of hard knocks? No, I don't think you – well, let me back up. Yes, because all parents try to do that. You know, we, we want to make sure that they don't have to learn the hard way like we did. Um, and I didn't learn the hard way. My daddy shielded me from the school of hard knocks as well. But sometimes life experiences – really it's what helps them grow and uh, sometimes you you have to find that fine line between being overprotective and letting them learn the hard way you know I still can't watch that movie what is it old yeller or whatever where they have to shoot the dog in the end or something like I still I don't like the movie because I can't I don't believe in that philosophy but um I think I did shield my my stepdaughter my son uh, to a degree but yet they learn, they learn some hard life lessons as well, you know, things that we just have to learn sometimes. Yeah. All right, you left, you, you grew up here in this area. I did. But then you went off to Big City Raleigh. I did. So, I mean, you, you kind of have come back around. What's that like to come back where you were raised? and To the place I said I would never live in? <laughs> um, never. 
<laughs> well, like I said, uh, uh, my entire life can be summed up in the sentence that didn't go according uh, as planned. But, um, you know, I never dreamed I would be living two and a half miles from the home I grew up in. The day I left for college, I said goodbye to Wilson County, uh, went to school uh, about an hour away, and never planned on coming back. And, you know, there are some things you just, your path uh, changes, and you don't realize that you wind back up where you started from, but yet that's where you were supposed to be. Um, and sometimes you, it's a good thing and sometimes it's not, but in my case, it was, it was great. You know, I got a chance, had I moved far away, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to look after my parents when they were both sick, uh, at a very young age. And so I'm glad that it brought me back home, but it's been different. You know, you see, see people that you grew up with, you know, and that you went to school with, and it's a small community Yeah, that's good and bad as well. Yeah, well, there are, I mean, it allows you to make connections very quickly without having to build relationships sometimes from the ground because you've already kind of got that. Um, you may have to rekindle them, but, um, all right. I have always seen you as a very glamorous person. <laughs> I mean, you, you have. You've always been incredibly put together. Love your jewelry. Love your makeup. But there's some lessons in there to young girls and, and women. I mean, I don't think you were ever overboard. So where's the balance? How do you find the balance? And, and what's your take on, on presenting yourself kind of to the world and I don't know if I'm actually taking this down the road I mean to, but well, I get well, I appreciate the compliment. I I don't always feel glamorous, and there are sometimes that, you know, after I've been in town and and gone to the grocery store, um, I come back home and I think, really, did you really go out in public looking like that? So, <laughs> I don't always do that, but it goes back to things that. Um, we're taught as children my mother would never leave the house without her lipstick on so I guess that's where I got a little bit of it from and if she came home at night mom would you like to go and let's get some dessert or a cup of coffee no I've already taken my makeup and my bra off well that was it you know and so uh, I saw some of that growing up you know when she was at Duke she had cancer and uh, I remember sitting in there and uh, I had walked out and the nurse came in and she came down the hall, and she goes, where's Miss Tucker? I said, what are you talking about? She's in the room. She said, no, she has a visitor. She's not in there. I said, what are you talking about? And I walked in, and Mom was sitting there. And I said, there she is. And she looked. It was a new nurse. Had not been with my mom. My mom had her makeup on, had her lipstick on. Yeah. She was dressed. Um, but she always had that philosophy of, of being prepared. So it goes back to the the whole conversation that we had earlier it's all about time you gotta you gotta take time to to be respectful of yourself um do I go to the gym in the morning and work out and then go by the grocery store and my workout clothes yes but there are times that I know it's appropriate not to be that way and I wish young girls this day and time would know that some things are not appropriate to wear and and do it's not old-fashioned to take a little time to always be prepared to present yourself uh to the world i guess it's your first resume when people see you and, and they decide to engage conversation or not 
you probably don't remember um, calling, I know it was me, calling me into the office and telling me how I needed to show up to be dressed. And, no, I don't. And I remember that and changed, I mean, because I was still really young and, you know, you come in, you roll out of bed, you hit the retail store and you may not look completely put together. But you had standards of how we were coming looking, and it wasn't in jeans and t-shirts. No, you know it was a professional atmosphere, and I think employer employers should demand that of their employees today, and and they don't always do that. But you know, always we had, and it's totally an outdated policy now in most companies. But you had to wear pantyhose. Thank, oh my God. thank, oh. I know, I know. Well, as a as a manager, I I think I threw the last pair away, and when I was going through my closet uh, about a year ago, and the store that I bought them from that was on the label has been closed for fifteen years. So, but you know, when people come in to spend money, then one, they want your time. They want you to stop talking, you know, and, and right, give them right. attention, and they want you to look professional. Um, look around a restaurant, and I'm I'm nitpicky about this, but when you go in restaurants to order something and you look at the wait staff and see how they're dressed, if they don't care about themselves and the way they look, how do you think they're preparing your food back in the kitchen? So always always look around and see see what the staff looks like at the places you're getting ready to eat. So when this podcast uploads, I expect people to do this experiment and put in the comments they are noticing and um i i think amazed. you'll be amazed i think you'll be amazed mm-hmm. yeah we had one incident one time there was a funeral and, and tom was going from work sorry tom um he's going from work and he asked me do you think i'm all right i mean i have on a golf shirt and i'm thinking yeah you know it's a funeral it's fine and um he gets there and he's sitting beside a three-year-old who's in a suit and <laughs> Not only am I in a golf shirt, but it's neon pink. And I'm sitting here, and, and he will never, ever. You know, there used to be the the philosophy, overdress. Because you can never overdress, but you can always underdress. Always. And uh, another thing that your listeners can look for, if they go to a wedding or funeral, look around at the way people are dressed. Uh, it's almost impally, appalling that we've let uh, our society um, accept things that we accept this day and time. Um, going back to when we used to work together, I, a memory that crossed my mind, not only dressing well, but I remember I got called on the carpet one time by my supervisor from home office um, got reprimanded he saw the chart on the bathroom do you remember i used to do the chart with duties cleaning the bathrooms and doing different things and i had my name on there the days that i was supposed to and i remember him telling me uh you're the manager of this store you've got other responsibilities other than cleaning the bathroom once a week and i remember standing up for myself when the few times i did that with with upper management but i said how can i ask my other employees to do something i'm not willing to do myself so if you've got a problem with me cleaning the bathrooms um then you'll just have to have a problem with me doing that so that's one thing that i learned is um everybody should take responsibility 
and I can tell you that I felt that as an employee. Um, and, and I mean, we were buddies too, so it was kind of hard. I mean, there were, there were times that you would tell me to do something and I would look at you like, eh. But still, you would, I, I really think if I'd pushed that too far, you would have fired me. Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure you fired me a couple of times. <laughs> I can remember one, but I, I don't know. Um, you know, it's all about separation. <laughs> it's all about separation. You, you have to learn to separate. And again, we're talking about society, and I'm not bashing society today, but people don't separate things anymore. You know, you and I were good friends, but we also were very successful working together. And I had a lot of good friends yeah. that worked for me, but there was a time and a place for everything. Right, right. The party didn't start at 10 o'clock in the morning. No, we were... no, it started at 10 no, o'clock at night. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, but we knew how to draw the line, and... Um, you, you need to learn to draw the line. You know, you, you need to learn uh, when to dress appropriately and when not to wear a golf shirt to a funeral. And, um, Sorry, Tom. That's... <laughs> so, and that would be all my fault. So he's just learned. You also have to learn when not to listen to your wife. That's right. So, um, all right. You think that's what makes you, and, and I'm going to say this, and I think you're a success. So you think that's what makes you a success is that you really did put your boundaries, put your lines, put your, and, and you, I mean, you, you were kind of in a male-dominated career path. Uh, it was definitely male. Uh, I was the first female district manager ever in the history of the company. It was all males, and I was told by a superior that I would never, because I was not a male, um, that would never go over in this day and time in society, but I was told I would never be a district manager. And so the day I was promoted to me was a huge, uh, that's probably one of the biggest successes, I think, as far as careers go. I don't see myself as a success uh, like you say you do, but I see myself as um, being successful in a lot of things. Um, but I've also learned when to call it quits. And I think that's what's helped me be successful by not getting burned out. Um, when I left retail, I didn't have a job. I had a house payment. I called my district manager up and I said, I can't do this anymore. I'll flip hamburgers at McDonald's, but uh, I'm sorry, I'm done. And I walked away. And so I feel like I was successful. Yes, I quit, but I was successful because I achieved something I wanted to achieve when I was with Reed's Jewelers. Um, I feel like I'm successful now because I'm so blessed that I can do something I want to do. And I realize everybody can't do that. Uh, but I've made a lot of mistakes. You know, I've had a lot of failures. Um, I do some public speaking and uh, women's motivational kind of things. And um, one of the, the messages that I give is talking about we have to realize that we do make mistakes. The title of it is, Oh Boy, I Need a Makeover. And, uh, oh, it's hilarious. It's talking about, it talks about wearing girdles and, and spanks and makeup. And I actually take up all, take off all my makeup during the course of the, the, uh, message. And I say in the very end, you know, if you're just standing there in nothing but a little black dress, no spanks, no makeup, no nothing, you know, you've got to learn to accept what you are just standing there in a little black dress. And, um, you know, we all need to do that. Oh, it's we it's do, neat. And I think so often we um, we miss that. And um, well, you beat yourself up over something you can't 
go back and change. Yeah, that's great. All right, we have talked a lot. Some of it we've talked off air and needs to stay off air. Um, <laughs> but so we've covered a lot of ground. Is there something that um, you that we've missed that you want to make sure you touch on? Um, no, you know, my dad, right before he died, I said, Dad, I said, is there anything that you wish you had done? And he said, no. He said, I could have done one more of this or one more of that or whatever. He said, but I have no regrets. He said, you know, I, I, I told your mom I loved her every, every day. And so she died knowing I loved her. And, um, I have no regrets. You know, I've been... Uh, a good father. I've made mistakes, but I really have no regrets. And he kept saying that. And so I would stress to people, try not to have any regrets. Um, if there's somebody you need to tell you're sorry, uh, tell them you're sorry. Um, if there's a relationship from 25 years ago that you need to rekindle, um, send that text or make that phone call so that when it's all said and done, you, you really don't have any regrets. If you, you know, there's a poem, buy the shoes, eat the chocolate cake, um, something about life's too short, do all those things. But when it comes down to it, it really is. So take a chance. You know, if you want to take a trip, um, just take a chance and, and don't live life with any regrets. That's really how I feel about things now. That's a great perspective. It really is. So if someone went- someone wants to get in touch with you what would be your oh wait wait before I do that I have one question if you had one superpower one superpower for 24 hours what would that be and why the ability to know what it would take to make people that I love happy if I could know the one little thing in their life that would make them happy, I, I would want to know that for 24 hours. If, if it's my 9-year-old granddaughter, my 25-year-old son, or my husband, what would really make them happy, I would want to know that. That's awesome. I bet you fit on it without having the superpower. You might already have that superpower, and you just don't realize it every day. Maybe. <laughs> So if somebody wants to get in touch with you, um, whether it be to travel or, or uh, I didn't realize that motivational speaking and is, is on your list as well. So if someone wants to touch base, how would they do that? Uh, they could email me, uh, Traveling Tours, T-R-A-V-E-L-Y-N-N, tours at gmail.com. Uh, I also have a Facebook page, which my wonderful friend Amy from Alabama is going to help me make that more successful. Uh, they can visit my website, uh, TravelingTours.com. You're going to help me with that as well. Um, or drop me a line. You can drop me a line in, in the mail as well. You can get my address off of the Facebook page. Okay, awesome. And they can also get hold of uh, Trevor's book. Yes, that way too. they can send me a message, and I'll be glad to ship one out to them. And the name again of the book is? The Button-Eyed Bear. Okay. Thank you very much. Such a fun Oh, great having you here in the in the big city. Thanks.
Oh, that was a fun conversation. Love digging back into the years of life. Uh, Talking to Lynn about balance. It's all about time. Presenting yourself to the world. She also encourages take a chance and don't live life with any regrets. Thanks for joining us. Find Stacked Keys Podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, or anywhere you get your favorite podcast listen. You'll laugh out loud, cry a little, and find yourself encouraged. Join us for casual conversation that leads itself based on where we take it. From family to philosophy to work to meal prep toward beautifully surviving life.